Well, we are in a study reading a book that was written by the wisest man probably that ever lived. What's interesting as you and as we look at the book, however, is that you know what? It doesn't matter how much wisdom you can have in this world if, if you don't get wisdom from God there's an awful lot of things that you don't know, <clears throat> and there's an awful lot of things that um, are very uncertain. And so we're going to, again, we're going to walk through today, we're going to look at chapter 2 in this book, and uh, on this Father's Day, there's some great advice here uh, for the men that are here, and uh, I trust that we'll take this to heart, and uh, this is a, just a great, uh, a great, some great lessons here for us today. I'd like to read the first eight verses. Solomon's looking for meaning in life. And we're going we're gonna to hear of his experience of, of trying to find that out as we walk through chapter 2 today. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of a man. So it was... Solomon pursuing what is worthwhile for men to do under heaven. So he tries, basically, he, he goes to say, I'm, I'm going to go out, I'm going to experience things that will just be enjoyable, like that will tantalize my senses, like what I can taste and what I can see and what I can touch. And, and all of these different things. So he, he has a list here of all the things he tried. He tried laughter. You know, just try and keep everything on the light side. Make a, you know, just make everything a joke. And, and that didn't seem to work. Uh, he said, I tried wine. I tried uh, alcohol. If he'd been in our day, I'm sure he'd uh, smoke some methawana, marijuana and, and, uh, and maybe a little meth even. I don't know. He said, I built stuff. I built houses, uh, 13 of them. He built cities. He built vineyards. He built gardens and orchards and pools. And uh, some of the most incredible building projects ever undertaken. I mean, he had a building crew of tens of thousands of people. He would just draft to come and and do these projects uh, for him. He had slaves. So imagine what it'd be like, gals. You get up in the morning and go, hey, would you uh, wash the clothes? Make breakfast for the kids? Uh, get them off to school? 
Uh, all you have to do is uh, sit in a chair and tell people what to do. All the slaves to do all the work that he didn't want to do. He tried that. He, uh, he, had, he, went, he got into the animal business. He had herds of, of oxen and sheep and, and all kinds of animals. And then he amassed just huge amounts of gold and silver. Like we're talking billions of dollars worth of, of gold and silver. Uh, musicians to play music. <clears throat> And then to top it off, uh, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which are basically 300 call girls. And he said, I, I tried that. And his conclusion, listen to his conclusion, verses 9 through 11. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And so here's Solomon. This guy has... an. He has all the power and all the money and, and all the possibilities to do anything he wanted. Now, I want you just to imagine today. If, if you walked out the door today and someone held a checkbook out to you and you opened it up and in there there was an account of $100 billion. How many of you would take it? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. <clears throat> But there's three kind of people in this room. There's one set of people that are going, are you crazy? I wouldn't even have to think about it. I mean, you know, I could take it all and, oh, I could give it all to missionaries. You know, you say that until you have it in your hand, okay? And then you're driving by the import store on the way home and you're looking at your car and you think, you know, well, you know, 100 million, you know, I could spend a billion on myself and nobody would even miss it. Some of you are here and you're going, you know what? There's no way I would, I don't even have to think about that. I, I, would, I would never do that. I, I wouldn't want it if you gave it to me. And then there's a good segment of people that are going, you know what? That probably wouldn't be good for me, but, well, I could, I don't know. I have to think about that one. <clears throat> so here's Solomon. He has, there's nothing that he couldn't do. He had all the power. He had all the, all the money, all the resources. I mean, this is a guy who's just to, inter just to spend the interest on his money was, you know, in our, in our day would have been probably about 10 to $15 million a day. So, just imagine going out and saying, I can do anything that I would enjoy. You know, hey, it'd be nice to go to Paris tomorrow. You can go to Paris. Any, anything you'd want to do in the world, that's what he did. And after a period of time, he got to the point where he said, this isn't, this isn't doing it for me. This isn't doing it. So then he went to another area, verses 12 through 16. He said, what about if I just got really educated and a lot of knowledge and just learned about everything? So verses 12, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? 
I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks around in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man like the fool will not be long remembered in days to come. Both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So he says, look, I, I, I've looked around me and I've seen that people that make wise, that live by wisdom, life goes better for them. Uh, they're like people walking around the light. If you don't apply wisdom, it's like you're walking around the dark or like you don't have eyes in your head. So he said, I see the advantage of wisdom, but he said, you know, in the big scheme of things, in, in the large scheme of things, they both end up the same. You know, they, they both end up in a casket with nothing. Isn't that true? I mean, there's no, you've never seen a U-Haul at a funeral, right? That you don't take it with you. You've heard that before. And so he's looking around, he's going, you know what, the guy that just lives his life this way and, and uh, not taking heart to anything, just lives foolishly, and the one that lives wise in the end, they both die, they both leave it all. And he said, this is really frustrating to me as I look at my life. He also sees that sometimes, you know, people that that live wisely, that disaster strikes them. They have no control over that. And then there's people that live foolishly and life seems to go pretty well for them. And he said, in the end, the wise man who has a great reputation and the fool who has no reputation, you know what? In a generation, it's not going to matter because nobody's going to remember. Back in the 1800s, one of the, one of the wisest men in, in uh, and one of the most popular, excuse me, one of the most, I would say, one of the most famous men back in the mid-1800s in, over in Europe, in London, was a preacher he started preaching when he was 16 years old, his first sermon. And uh, when he was 19, he was asked to preach in a, a fairly large church. There was about 200 people there. By the time he was 21 years old, he had moved into a facility because they'd outgrown them, and uh, the facility held 6,500 people. He became the most famous preacher of, of the day, and not only a preacher, he was well known among kings and rulers and, and, and other countries. And there was a publisher who published every week, who published his sermons for 27 years. Well, <clears throat> there was a, a gentleman, it was a pastor who went over to the hometown there in London, and being a pastor, of course, he'd read through Spurgeon's sermons who was the guy Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You know, there's probably a lot of people here that don't really know who Charles Haddon Spurgeon is. But in that day, he was the most famous man on the face of the earth. The pastor goes back to the hometown. He goes up to some people in the community. says, hey, could you show me where Charles Spurgeon's church is? And they said, Charles who? We haven't heard of him. 
I mean, in just a generation. And so Solomon says, you know, it's, it's not going to matter. No matter how wisely, no matter how, no how much wisdom I get, it, it, it's not going to matter in my life. And then he moves, so he tries one more thing. Verses 18. By the way, his conclusion on 17. So I hated life. It's interesting. He just, he's so frustrated. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. You know, Solomon was very wise, and he also had this ability to look at life from the big picture. And so he wasn't just living life going, hey, this is great today. He's thinking in his mind, you know what? Just a few days out, this is going to be gone. And so that, that's what was so difficult for him as he looked at life. I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous. All is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Well, then he tries one more area. I hated all the things I toiled, toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving at which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief, even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. So the last thing he tries is work. And, you know, Psalm is not afraid to work. Psalm is a very hard worker. He, uh, he, you know, he accomplished incredible things. He managed huge things. He was a very, obviously, uh, a very hardworking man. But he has two complaints here. Number one is, he says, so what if I... I'm going to be gone and I'm going to leave everything I've worked for. What if I leave it to a fool? What if I leave it to a fool who just squanders it all away? But you know that's exactly what happened. His son's name was Rehoboam. His son was crowned king after Solomon was gone. And he went for advice. And he went to the older elders and and they, they came to him and they said, Look, Rehoboam, your dad, your dad has worked people to the bone. All these labor forces, all these projects, all the things he's been building, people are tired. And, you know, if, if you don't give them a break here, they're going to break and something's going to happen. And then Solomon went to, uh, to his, uh, some of his younger cronies, some of his friends. He said, what do you guys think? He said, ah, work them. Just keep working them. They're just complainers. Just work them harder. So Rehoboam listened to the younger crowd and the people broke and the the kingdom rebelled and we see Rehoboam lost 80% of his father's kingdom. Exactly what he feared happened. The second thing he says is, and and someone's going to get it that didn't work for it. Now that might sound a little bit selfish, you know, I worked for this, and now they're going to get it. But Solomon was also pretty wise, and 
he also was aware of the dangers of getting things that you don't work for. And we can handle that to a point, but at some point we're, we're more satisfied when we work for things and many people's lives have been ruined by things just being handed to them. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was reading about a, a gal by the name of Barbara Hutton. Her grandfather was uh, the founder of F.W. Woolworth, founder of the Woolworth chain of stores. Uh, by the early 1900s, the Woolworth stores have made more fortune than, than any other company uh, in America. And so in, 19, in the 1930s, around 1933, just imagine coming right out of the Depression, right? He leaves one of his granddaughters, Barbara Hutton, $50 million. Just a small portion of the fortune that he had amassed. And uh, it destroyed her life. She, uh, she was married seven times. One of those times was to actor Cary Grant. She spent her whole life battling alcohol dependency, anorexia, and uh, her numerous divorces left her bankrupt at 66. She died. She weighed less than 100 pounds. She had $3,000 left in her checking account. Solomon says, what if all that I've worked for, just someone gets it and just squanders it away? Someone who didn't work for it. And so Solomon here is looking at all these things. He's looking at, he's, he's tried pleasure, he's tried wisdom, he's, he's tried work. And it's not doing it. Something is, something's missing. There's just this emptiness because he knows one day it's all going to be done and it's all going to be gone. Kathy Lee writes these words. When I was 12 years old, my father took me to a circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew above our heads. And so I sat there watching this marvelous spectacle. But she said, I had the feeling that something was missing. I didn't know what it was. So I said to myself, is that all there is? And she went on to write, based on that story, she went on to write that song. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? That's all there is, and let's keep dancing, bring out the booze, and have a ball. Those are the chorus of that song. Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no satisfaction. That's taken right out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So, we get to the end of the book. We've been in this now for like three weeks. And we haven't heard anything really positive yet from Solomon. And so here it comes. And what, what's going to happen in this book is he's going to cycle back through some of these thoughts and feelings as we go on in the book. But this morning we get to the, the first, what I call, uh, Peace of wisdom from life above the sun, not under the sun. Verses 24 through 26. So listen to what it says. And in here is one of the, 
This is one of the key pieces to the puzzle of life. If life's like a big puzzle, and you're trying to put it together, and uh, this is that missing piece. Listen to what he says. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness or joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So here it is, and, and here, here's how I would condense this statement. Everything can be enjoyed when God is at the center of our lives. That's really what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, without him, if God's not central, then, then who can eat or find enjoyment? But to the man who pleases him, and how do we please God? We, we put God central in our life. To those, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness and the ability to enjoy work and to enjoy pleasure and then to joy the things in our lives. Martin Luther called this a remarkable passage. And uh, I agree, I think it's the missing piece here in the puzzle. So let's just do a little application. And what I'd like to do is just kind of walk back through these three areas. And in light of verses 24 to 26, how do we find meaning in work and wisdom and, and pleasure in our lives? So I'll just make a few comments on each of these. And we're going to do this in, in kind of reverse order. So let's start with work. You know, in, in life under the sun, life is about work. In fact, we struggle with this. We kind of get up and we think, what's life about? It's about working. That's what you do all your life. I remember when our son, Corey, graduated from college and he was home for the summer and he was like, he was like depressed. He's like laying on the couch. I was, I was actually concerned about him. I said, what's wrong? He said, and, and Corey has the, uh, he's wired, he has the ability to think out into the future as to what things look like out there. He said, I am now at a point in my life where for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to get up every morning for five days a week and go to work. I mean, it used to be, you know, campus, one day you didn't start class till noon, you got to go play soccer every afternoon from three to five, you know, that was life. Now, it's work. Our lives is about work, right? And yet, life, you know, God didn't create you to work, predominantly. Work is a part of our lives, it's an important part of our lives, it's a meaningful part of our lives, but you know, God didn't create us as human doings. He created us as human beings. And the predominant purpose for which you and I were created, we were created to live in relationship with our Creator. That should be your predominant purpose in your day. So when you wake up in the morning, your predominant purpose is to enjoy and live out your relationship with God. One of the things that you get to do that 
that hopefully can be meaningful for you is work. It's an important part of our life, but it's not the thing for which we were created. God didn't look down on earth and say, you know what? There's a whole bunch of stuff that has to be done here. I need, to, I need to make sure that these people do it. God created us to live in relationship with us. That's first and foremost. Work becomes one of the gifts that God has given us. And, and we, we live out our work in relationship with him. God becomes a part of our work and what we're doing. I remember a farmer when I was in Roseau. Uh, you know, a farmer's life, they get up early in the morning, go to bed. His name was uh, Mr. Wickstrom. I would go see him every week because he was working on the barn. He fell off a ladder. He was paralyzed for 23 years from his neck down. And all he could do was lay in bed. So who is he now? He can't work. Does he have any value? How does he find any meaning in life? Our meaning in life comes not from what we do, it comes from who we are. And we are creations of God. Uh, through Christ we become children of God. We become heir. A lot of things in terms of who we are. Life is not now about what we can, commu- what we can accumulate. It's not about all our stuff that we work so hard for. And in the end, when it's all gone, it, it doesn't matter. It's not who we are. That's why God has to be in the mix here. If God's left out, all we have is our work and our stuff. That's all we have left. You know what Henry Ford said? Obviously he became the CEO of Ford Motor Company. He said, I was much happier when I was working as a mechanic in the shop. So, Work is not about how high we can go. It's not about how much we can make. It's about enjoying something we do because our happiness doesn't depend upon our work or how much money we can make. There's something far greater. So God brings that to our work when he becomes central. The second thing is wisdom. You know, how does that change our wisdom? Now our wisdom is from above. James says this. He says the wisdom from, from God is, is, our wisdom is, is pure, and he said it, it's from above, James 3.17. This means that that wisdom gives meaning to each of our lives. We see that you know, it, it speaks to our, our lives, and it, it speaks to the things in our lives, and God gives us wisdom about life. And he, he just transforms all of those things in our lives. I mentioned last week about creation. So, you know, when, when we, we can go out and enjoy creation because we know the Creator. That's what gives it meaning. Uh, I was thinking this week I, I came across a, an interview. Uh, I'm going to play it for you in just a second here. But take baseball. So you play baseball all your life, and you get to the end of your life, and you say, so, so what was my life about? It was about hitting a little baseball around the field and catching it and throwing it to people and running around the bases. So what, what meaning is in that? But you know what? If you bring God into baseball, everything changes. I want you to watch... 
because God brought, uh, this man uh, was, is a great example of what happens when God intersects our common day lives. So that's what happens when God is brought into something commonplace. He, he transforms it. He gives it new purpose. He, he gives it new meaning. He, he breathes life into those common day things of our lives, our work, our pleasure, our wisdom. The last one we see here is pleasure. Pleasure. <clears throat> you know, there was a, I was reading this week of a guy who spent 10 years in Mongolia, and he said, I was examining what, what is really important to them. And he said, Mongolia, it's power. That's the value of that country, power. That's what people long for, they look for. He said that after being gone for 10 years and now coming back to America, he said, I think, I think in America, the, the bottom line value is pleasure and uh, convenience. You know, things that make life easier, more convenient. Uh, I was reading uh, the other day, probably by 2030, uh, all our vehicles will probably drive themselves. You won't even touch the steering wheel. Uh, it's, we, we see that it affects culture everywhere, even in the church. And so there's a natural tendency to just want to try and make life more comfortable. Now, is there anything wrong with being comfortable? 
I mean, does God want us uncomfortable? I don't think so. But statistically, it's interesting when they, you know, they look at how happy people are in cultures in, in different nations. Uh, there's a certain level where getting more things uh, makes people happier. I'm sure if you don't have a roof over your head, you're going to be happy if you get one. If, if you don't know where the next meal's coming from, you're going to be happy if you get one. So to a certain point, people get happier, but then there's a, a certain point. When you go beyond that, there is no increase in happiness. In fact, some of the data shows that there's a decrease in happiness once you get beyond that. And so we see here that, you know, when, when pleasure becomes our predominant focus, it bites us. When, when God is our predominant focus, then, then he puts pleasure in, in its appropriate context. And so we see here in verses 24 through 26 that the ultimate pleasure, you want to you have ultimate pleasure? Everybody's looking for pleasure. I think God designed this for pleasure. The ultimate pleasure, uh, I will tell you that the greatest experience you could ever experience anywhere on the face of the planet is ahead for many of us. And that greatest pleasure will to actually be in the presence of God. You'll look at that and you'll say, there's nothing I ever did. Nothing I ever did that compared to being in actually being in the presence of God. And so, when our ultimate pressure, when our pleasure is pursuing God, that then everything else can fall into place. It's like, uh, you know, it's, here's what happens. We want, people want more pleasure. And so God has set up moral laws upon and within which we must live and experience pleasure. If we step outside of that, it begins to destroy us. Now, here's, I'll give you another example. Just as there are moral laws, there are also physical laws. So let's say people said, you know what? I, I want more freedom. I don't like the law of gravity. I'm, I'm going to jump off the... I'm going to go next door on D.C. Everest, and I don't like the... I want freedom to be able to jump off the building. I don't like the laws of gravity. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get broken. And God has put out moral laws, and people say, well, I want more freedom. Well, you transgress those laws, and you know what will happen? You'll get hurt. You'll get broken. We're living in a culture. I don't need to convince anyone, you know, this culture is hurt, and this culture is broken. In the last 50 years, depression has gone up tenfold. We are not happier. We have more freedoms than we've ever had. And we are also transgressing more of the moral laws of God in the name of freedom. And it ultimately destroys us. And so, what we see here is, just as what gravity is to the solar system, you know, it, it holds it in place and it maintains it and keeps everything functioning smoothly, what gravity is to the solar system, God is to the pleasures in life. And so if you put God first and you seek God first, then you can enjoy all the pleasures of life. You can enjoy sex. You can enjoy food. 
You can enjoy money. You can enjoy vacation. You can enjoy all the things in life if God is first. And so that's, that is the puzzle. That's a piece of the puzzle today that, um, that Ecclesiastes brings to us. That without Him, without Him, without God, central in our lives, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the one who pleases Him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Father, this morning, I, uh, I thank You for this chapter. And there's a really powerful lesson here. You are not a, against pleasure. You are against seeing people destroying themselves in the name of freedom. By ignoring you, by discarding your word, by not living in accordance with the things that you have told us. Father, you are the ultimate source of pleasure. And uh, Lord, we need, to see, we need to be seeking you first and foremost in our lives so that we can enjoy everything else that you bring into our lives. Father, this is a powerful lesson. It's a lesson that Solomon learned the hard way. Some of us here have learned that lesson the hard way. And uh, I just pray that we would, we would hold these, these enjoyments around us uh, as a gift from you, that we'd hold them with an open hand, realizing they can be here today and they can be gone tomorrow, but that's okay because we, we have you. And uh, in you we have everything we need and our future is in you. And so uh, just use these truths to encourage us today. And uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude with our above and beyond uh, offering. Just take a couple, three minutes and uh, ask Vicki to come up and uh, just play. This is a special fund. We're, we're helping support... Uh, a couple of pastors in the orphanage in the Philippines. Uh, we're supporting our church planting. Uh, Casey's going to be heading out sometime in the next year uh, to plant a church in Marshfield. It's going to be used for our mission week, for projects for people next week, and uh, for our Ukraine ministry. So uh, I thank each one that gives, and uh, we're going to share in that today.
invite you to stand, and uh, we'll conclude. Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us today. Thank you for all the dads here today, for all the fathers. Father, we pray that you'd bless them, that they might know the value that they are not only to you, but in the eyes of their families and their children. And uh, we just thank you for uh, <clears throat> just for the, the many ways that, that you have blessed each one of us uh, in this day. Father, might we uh, heed the words that we've heard today. May your spirit use them in our lives to make us truly wise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.